A reason, a purpose behind the gospel, and that's so Matthew could show and prove through the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the rightful heir. He's the king of the Jews. He has the rightful, he's the rightful heir to the king, or to the throne of David, excuse me. Every creature's unique in the song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable, you place the Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Matthew begins his account of the life of Jesus Christ with the record of the lineage of Jesus, beginning with the patriarch Abraham. It is a remarkable fact that among the variations in the order in which the Gospels appear in early lists and texts, the one constant fact is that Matthew always comes first. The Jewish flavor of the Gospel of Matthew makes for a logical transition between the Old and the New Testaments. For these reasons, the early church placed it first in order among the four Gospel accounts. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins our study in the Gospel of Matthew. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Matthew's Gospel. Looking forward to starting this Gospel with you this morning. It's going to start off with the genealogy of Jesus Christ from Abraham all the way to Jesus Christ. And I know that you're really excited about genealogies. But I'm hoping that this morning you'll see that if you take some time to go through those genealogies, you'll find some really remarkable and wonderful things. And um, we'll certainly see that today. But as we look at this gospel today, as we begin the gospel of Matthew, this man, his original name was Levi. That was his name. But Jesus called him Matthew, and his name means gift of the Lord. And yet, he's a tax collector. Do you find an interesting dichotomy there? He's a tax collector, which was a a person who was hated in that time. And they're not really popular today either, to be honest with you. But uh, they were really hated back at this time. In fact, the Roman government gave the tax collectors a, a freedom, saying that this is what we expect you to collect for each person. But if you get a little bit more, then you can kind of take the balance and make it go south into your pocket, right? And so that's what a lot of them did. They charged a little more and they kept the balance or they kept that extra in their pockets. And so the Jews knew this and they despised tax collectors and Levi or Matthew was one of those men who would sit at the the, the receipt of custom and receive taxes and um, and and perhaps, and I believe he had because he admitted that he'd, he'd done this, But it's interesting that Levi, uh, who was accustomed to taking from the Jews taxes, 
And yet God would choose this man whose name means gift of God to write this gospel. And truly Matthew was a gift of the Lord to us. Because he was a man that nobody really cared for. And yet God loves to choose the unlovable. He loves to choose those things that the world casts away. And I was one of those cast-offs of the world. And the, when, I, when the world was no, not interested in me, the Lord says, Hey, I'm interested in you. And I'm like, Lord, I don't have any, I, I've left everything, the, all the goals, the things that I desire to do in my life. I'm kind of washed up. And the Lord goes, oh, i got a better plan for your life. And he's got one for you too. Do you know that, that he's got a great plan for your life? Regardless of your age this morning, it doesn't matter how old you are, he's still got a great plan for your life. But truly, Matthew was a gift of the Lord because he gave us this wonderful account of Jesus' life, the miracles that he did, and he was one of the twelve apostles, or the disciples, as we might call them. In Matthew chapter 10, uh, this is the only place in the Bible where it mentions that Matthew was a tax collector. You can, you can devise it from another verse, and, and, I, and I think it's in, um, uh, in, in Matthew, or excuse me, in Mark and Luke, there's some, you can devise that. But this one says very clearly, notice in verse 2 of Matthew, it says, Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and then James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. And then in verse 3, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and notice Matthew, the tax collector. And then James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus. Simon, the Canaanite, that's interesting. And Judas Iscariot last, who also betrayed him. Who also betrayed him. And who was this gospel written to? Well, it was written to the Jews, it's often been said that Matthew is a, a gospel that's written by a Jew to the Jews about a Jew, Jesus Christ. And the Jewish people, they needed to know that Jesus is their Messiah, the King of Israel, the rightful heir to the throne of David, that the scriptures that have been foretelling for hundreds of years, and even for a few thousand years, that he is the rightful heir to the throne, that he is from the tribe of Judah, that he would ultimately bear the scepter, the kingship, the right to rule, not only over Israel, but over the whole entire earth, over all of creation. Isn't Jesus the author and the finisher of all things? Isn't he the creator of all things? Doesn't he desire, doesn't he deserve, excuse me, to rule over what he has created? He does. When the Ford factory, when they make Ford trucks, they have the right to dismantle that truck right on the, right on the assembly line and make changes to a part. They have the right. Because they have sovereignty over that. And God is sovereign over us. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein. That pretty much includes everything, doesn't it? And I love that. But notice that this gospel was written after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, and Matthew wanted to prove, and here is the crux behind this gospel. There's a viewpoint, there is a, 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 a reason, a purpose behind the gospel, and that's so Matthew could show and prove through the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the rightful heir. He's the king of the Jews. He has the rightful heir. He's the rightful heir to the king, or to the throne of David, excuse me. 
And so he wants to prove that. Just as we looked at, remember, John's gospel. The whole crux of, the John's, of John's gospel was John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, right? Where it says, And these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Well, Matthew has a purpose as well, and that's to show that Jesus is the King of the Jews, that he is the soon, uh, the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world, a little bit different of a slant, showing that he's the king of the Jews and he's the king and the rightful heir to Judah. Now, when was this gospel written? We really don't know for sure. We know that it happened sometime before 70 A.D., perhaps even as early as 50 A.D., and the reason we know that is because of what is recorded for us in Matthew 24. Now, this is the way you have to read the Bible. When you read this, look at this verse, in 24 verse 1. And so it says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the building, the buildings of the temple. Now, if the temple had been destroyed, they would have said, Lord, look at all the ruins, uh, what, the, what the Romans have done. But that's not what happened. The temple in Jerusalem was very much intact. So we know that this had to have been written earlier than that. And see, that's a good way to read the Bible. This is what they call internal evidence. It's evidence or a fact that can be understood by the Scripture itself. You don't need to go looking anywhere else. You can just read it and devise what is written there. And I would encourage you to read the Bible like that. Put together these thoughts. Don't just read and and, and pretend that it's not there or overlook it. Really look at it and say, you know, where could this have been placed? And, And it all makes sense. It all makes sense. And if you read it that way, God's not afraid for you to come at it with all of your mental faculties. Come to the Word of God with your entire heart and mind. You don't have to check in at the door. You don't have to believe in some kind of blind faith. Hey, let me tell you something. People say that, well, if you believe in Jesus, it's just blind faith. No, it's not. It's more substantiated than anything else. (laughs) There's proof. It's all over the place. It's screaming out. What does uh, Psalm 19 say? The heavens. Declare the glory of God. And the earth shows forth his handiwork. You look at anything and you look at it in, in minutiae. You stick it under a microscope or you examine it. And what do you find? Do you find chaos and everything falling apart and nothing making sense? No, you find exactly the opposite. You find intense order. It's intense order. Because if he is Almighty God, who he says he is, all of his creation is designed specifically for a purpose and a plan. And he's got it all covered. You know, we were watching this show last night, and it was about polar bears. And it was like an hour and a half of nothing but polar bears and how they live and everything like that. And I was surprised and amazed that God would keep these creatures. They're on these, you know... uh, roaming around on ice blocks and, 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 and learning how to fish and, and the mother teaching the cubs how to do all... How did that happen? How did they know to do certain things to, so that they could live and eat and survive? God put it in there. God put it in there. It's their, God made them that way. And they do it very naturally. No one had to show them. But the mothers now show the, the, you know, the little ones, and the little ones grow up, and they show their little ones, and it's all been embedded into them. And so, uh, again, I, I've, I've digressed, and I'm thankful that you guys are very patient. So, um, 
But notice what it says, that uh, you know this is internal evidence. And when we look at uh, the first time that Jesus met Matthew, it was in Matthew chapter 9, and this was after Jesus had healed a paralytic. And notice what it says. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a, na- a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And so he arose and followed him. And now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he hanging out with these people of ill repute? Isn't he supposed to be the Messiah, as you claim? Well, if he's the Messiah, he wouldn't hang out with unclean people. Ah, but I think Jesus would rather hang out with people who have no clue of who he is than a bunch of self-righteous hypocrites. He would much rather hang out with the serial killers and the murderers and the sexually immoral because there's hope for them. <laughs> and, and many of them will come to Christ and, and the, the stuffy people from Oxford and their uh, Ivy League language, they're going to get stuck. Not all of them, of course. And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And it's true, he came to call sinners to repentance. And as we look at Matthew again, in order to show that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of David, the king of the Jews. He quotes Old Testament passages concerning Jesus more than in any other gospel account. In fact, more Old Testament passages are quoted in Matthew than any other book of the Bible except for the book of Revelation. Revelation has 249 different quotations of the Old Testament in it. And the very next one is this one, Matthew, and for good reason. Because if his goal is to show us that he is the rightful heir to the throne of David, that he is the king of the Jews, then what has he got to rely upon? Where is he going to get his source from? Where is he going to get his source material from? You've got to be able to point to something. And remember, they didn't have the, the New Testament. It wasn't written. When Matthew wrote this gospel, they had the Old Testament. And he shows through those Old Testament scriptures. And as we go through Matthew, we're going to see that. And the intent is going to be pointing to Christ. Pointing to Christ. Pointing and showing and proving that he is the Messiah. The King of the Jews. And not only the King of the Jews, but the King of all of us. Amen? I love that. Now you remember me saying many times that each of the gospel accounts are pieces of events in the life of Jesus and his ministry. And when, they're, when all of these gospel of the four are put together, they form a composite of, of Jesus' life. And the Bible even says that there's even more things that could have been written. Didn't we read that at the very end of John's gospel? There are many things that Jesus did that were writ, weren't written. He says, for I suppose that even if the, the whole world couldn't contain the books and the libraries that could be written about Jesus' life. And so there were many more things that he did, but what we have is sufficient to understand his life and the different aspects and the purposes behind these gospel accounts. And they all have different vantage points. And that's what makes them so sweet because you can go to an accident and you can see uh, an accident taking place. For instance, a traffic accident. 
And one person has one uh, view and understanding of the accident, and another person over there sees another uh, view of it, and another person over here saw something that this guy didn't see. And when you put them all together, what do you do? The police report comes, and the police gets all these people together and say, well, tell me what happened. Well, he came flying through the thing. He was on his phone. He didn't see. He didn't stop. And he ran into this other car. And this other person says, well, yeah, that happened. But I also saw him at the last minute. He pulled his phone away and he slammed on his brakes. Okay, that adds to the information. And so it goes and so it goes. And the gospel accounts are a lot like that. So I would encourage you to read them. And even there's harmonies of the gospels that lay everything out in chronological order. And it really helps. And I've been trying over the last uh, couple of years, as we've been going through the gospels, to really kind of show you that, especially through the gospel of John. Actually, only through the Gospel of John. We've only been through one Gospel. We're in our second one, right? So uh, so I'm hoping to continue to do that, to give um, a a sense of where we're going in in his life. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are called the synoptic Gospels, and the reason being is because they contain a lot of similar events, hence the word sin, or S-Y-N, synoptic. It means some similar events and miracles are covered within these three Gospel accounts. But John was completely different, you remember. He, he, he had a whole different thing. And so each of these gospel accounts have their own purposes. Matthew, again, Jesus, the king of the Jews, the heir to the throne of David. The gospel of Mark, when we get to that, Jesus speaking of his servanthood, his servant nature. And then Luke, Jesus being the perfect man. And John, we already saw this, that Jesus is almighty God in the flesh. And it's interesting, too, that each of these Gospels has a, a symbol or an emblem or an ensign assigned to them from other areas of the Scripture. And Matthew's Gospel is seen as a lion, and we'll look at why that is. And Mark, an ox or a calf. Uh, Luke, because it speaks of Jesus being the perfect man, it speaks of a man. And certainly John with an eagle, speaking of Jesus' heavenly origins. And we see this in Ezekiel very clearly in the very first chapter, beginning in verse 4. Notice what it says. Ezekiel writing says, Then I looked, and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself, and brightness was all around it. And radiating out of its midst, midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. And also from within the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They each had the likeness of a man. And each one had four faces. And each one had four wings. And their legs were straight. And the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. And they sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. And the hands of a man were under their wings on their four sides. And each of the four had faces and wings. And their wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went. But each one went straight forward. Now does everybody understand can you visualize that a little tough isn't it <laughs> and uh, but but he says in verse 10 and as for the likeness of their faces notice each one had the face of a man each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side each of the four had the face of an ox on the left and each of the four had the face of an eagle and these four faces um, we see as uh, perhaps uh, representatives of God's creation the top of the food chain, the, the, the federal head, if you will, over parts of the animal kingdom. We think of man. He's the, God gave him dominion over all things. And then we see the lion, who is the greatest among the wild beasts. We see the ox or the calf, 
the greatest among the domesticated animals, an eagle certainly the greatest of the birds. That's why we in America have the eagle as our uh, national emblem. It's the greatest of the birds because we're the greatest nation on the earth. Still are. But we see these symbols, these four living creatures, also in Revelation. Uh, Let me just read verse 7. It says, The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature. And this is uh, God revealing to John this this vision of the throne room of God in in Revelation chapter 4. And he sees the same creatures that Ezekiel saw back when he was in Babylon. God had revealed that to him. And now John is getting the same vision of the same thing. First living creature like a lion, the second creature like a calf, the third like the face of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And all of these have the likeness or character of Jesus and the focus of these different gospel accounts. And, and so when we look at the gospel of Matthew, we're seeing this idea of a lion, of a lion. And where do we get that? It's certainly the Uh, Jerusalem's official emblem. You see the lion represents Judah. It always has. The tribe from which David would come, that Jesus Christ would ultimately come. And it's all over Jerusalem. You see it on their manhole covers in in the streets. I've taken this picture, and you can see the lion on that. They, They have them on their flags. The lion on the flag symbolizing the of Judah, of Jerusalem. Even on their trash containers, they have these lion insignias all over the place. And so if this emblem of a lion has significance, and if what we looked at so far is, if there's some, some validity to that, then, then there ought to be something in the scripture concerning it. And there is. And there is. Now, we are going to get into the, into the gospel here shortly, because the genealogy is going to go pretty quick. But notice, in Genesis 49, there ought to be something concerning this idea of a lion of the tribe of Judah. And we see it when Jacob was on his deathbed. Remember, in Egypt, before the children of Israel came out of Egypt, remember that Jacob was on his deathbed, and he blesses his sons, his 12 sons. And finally, in verse 8, he gets to Judah, and he says, "'Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise.'" Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, and your father's children shall bow down before you. And notice verse 9, the very first time in all the scripture where the word lion is even mentioned. It's the very first time. It says, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. And he bows down, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall raise, arouse him? And here's the verse, the scepter, the right to rule, the kingship shall not depart from Judah. Remember that. Shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And Shiloh is a nickname or a title of the Messiah. It's an epithet of Messiah. That's exactly what it means. And it goes on, and to him shall be the obedience of the people, meaning they're going to bow down to him. He's going to be sovereign over them. And certainly all the kings of Judah, that's who they were. They were the kings. And certainly it looks even forward beyond Israel and looks forward even to us now into the millennial reign when Jesus Christ will sit on the throne in a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and he will have reign over all of the earth. 
That's the end of our lesson for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the Gospel of Matthew. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.